trust everyone had a, a good Christmas time with your families and uh, maybe got a little refreshed, ate some food, opened some presents, and was able to celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's birth. And now we close out 2019. It's kind of weird to think about that, isn't it? I was telling my wife yesterday, I said, in 2055, I will be 80 years old. And I thought to myself, it doesn't seem that far away. It's just uh, right around the corner. And so uh, time flies, doesn't it? Especially when you're having a good time. You know, the old saying, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, the older you get, it seems like time goes by uh, faster and faster. And so we're closing out 2019. We're going to enter into 2020. Uh, I've always said at the beginning of years or the end of years, we don't know what God has planned for us next year. It's always exciting to watch and see as God unfolds his plan and in, in our lives and, and what he's going to bless us with, what he's going to challenge, challenge us with, what he's going to call us to in 2020. No one, no one in here knows. And we have our own plans and we have our own hopes and our own dreams and our own aspirations, but ultimately it is the Lord who lays forth his sovereign plan and all of our plans uh, fall subject to his sovereign plan. So it's exciting to look forward to a new year and to look forward to seeing what God has planned for our lives, what God has planned for Grace Bible Church, what God has planned for Hollister, and um, we just, we don't know. We're just trusting him and following in his footsteps each day, walking uh, with him, following him, and trusting him as he uh, takes us on this journey. Let's pray together before we get into our um, study this morning. Father, we do thank you for this, um, for this day. We thank you for this year. We thank you for a great 2019, which we faced many blessings, and we experienced your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. We also recognize, Lord, that it wasn't without challenges and that in those challenges, we were able to even see your grace in a greater way. So thank you for what you did for us. Um, thank you for what you did for your glory in 2019. We come to you with hopes and anticipation and excitement about what you're going to do in 2020. And we put it in your hands. For you alone are capable of doing what is right in our lives. Please be with us this morning as we open up your word. I pray that it would be um, helpful, that it would penetrate our hearts and uh, change us into the image of Christ for your glory. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So we've been on a, a short uh, Advent study, and we're going to conclude that Advent study this morning. Normally it concludes on Christmas morning or on Christmas week or the week before, but this year we started a week late and so we're concluding a week late. And we looked at the four songs that are spoken of in Luke chapter 1 and chapter number 2 that are sung specifically about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Two of these songs are given prior to Jesus Christ's birth, that of Mary and Zechariah. And then two of these songs are given after Christ's birth, um, that of the angels and also that of uh, Simeon, which we'll talk about this morning. Um, there is some debate in regards to the shepherds and the, and the angels as to the time frame of Christ's birth and the, and the song being sung, but for the most part, um, most theologians hold it as being post um, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mary's song, we learned about the humility and astonishment associated with the sovereign grace of God. In Zechariah's song, we learned of the sovereign right of God to give and to take. And in the angel song, which we looked at last week, we were instructed on the purpose of Christ, that Jesus Christ came into the world for two purposes. One, to glorify the Father. And ultimately, everything that Christ did and does continue to do is for the glory of God. He is the fulfillment of 1 Corinthians 10.31, where the scriptures tell us whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the epitome of that. 
He is the essence of that. If you wanted to have an, an illustration or someone to look to that epitomizes the, um, the truth that everything that we do is meant to bring glory to God, Jesus Christ is that person. And not only did Jesus Christ come to bring glory to God, but also to bring peace on the earth and to cause or to create peace in the midst of conflict in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trials, in the midst of war, and to, to do that through his people. And Jesus Christ is accomplishing this peace on earth. Not, it's not global. It's not universal. It's something that will, uh, will one day be global and universal when Christ sets up his kingdom here on this earth. But the Bible teaches us that we, as Christians, are to be the epitome of that, of that peace. In order for us to fulfill the purposes of Christmas, as we look at Christmas and we open up presents and we celebrate and we get together with family, but in order for us to truly fulfill the purposes of Christmas, two things that have to happen. One is the Lord God has to be glorified. He has to be made much of. He has to be magnified. He, ha he has to be exalted because that is the reason for Christ coming to this earth. And then secondly, we have to get along. That is, that is the purpose of Christmas. Jesus Christ came to bring peace to this world. And again, he didn't come to bring universal peace. That's going to happen later. But he did come to bring peace in the hearts of those who are believers. There should be no place that's more unified than the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be no place. If everybody that's in the body of Christ is focused on Christ and his glory, then there will be no place that's more unified than the body of Christ. I will submit to you, though, we are a far cry from where we ought to be when it comes to glorifying God through the unity and the singleness of the church. But we must work towards that. Simeon's song is found here at the end of, or really the middle of chapter number two, and we're going to look at that song this morning. Simeon's song is expressed at the close of Mary's purification process. Okay, the theme of Simeon's song is seeing the Savior. Let's just read it together, and then we'll come back and we'll walk through each verse and, and unfold what the Lord might teach us through these verses. Your bulletin says we'll start in verse 25, but I'm going to actually start in verse 22. So if you want to open your Bible and, and look there with me, that would be great. The Bible says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up, speaking of Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. If you'll just notice there before we move on, the Lord's is a possessive term. It is referring to the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen one, the one who would come into this world and, and be the Messiah, the one who would come and be the deliverer. So this is the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed one, the, the Lord's chosen one. Jesus Christ was that one. And again, if you think about this historically, we're, we're being reintroduced to some things that the dark ages were, uh, caused them to be hidden from us. The Lord is re-speaking again. The Lord is reintroducing himself. He's making himself known again. That this has not happened for some season. So this is the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's anointed. And in verse 27, and, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents um, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law... He took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, now you are letting me depart, letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory and for glory to the people Israel, your people Israel. 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and raising of many in Israel, and for a sign that, it is, that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We're going to stop there this morning and, and unfold. The theme, of this, the theme of this song and the theme of this passage of Scripture is, is truly seeing the Lord. And we see 11 times from verse 25 down to verse number 35, we see 11 times the idea of something being seen, something being revealed. The terms that are used in the text are seeing, um, looking, revealing, eyes, presence, revelation, light, glory, and sign. And we see this used, these terms are used 11 times throughout this short passage of Scripture to, to help us understand, to help us focus in on seeing the Lord. Uh, ultimately, the, the um, excitement that overwhelms Simeon is that he gets to see the Lord. He gets to experience the Lord in a, in a, in a very, very special way. And so we're going to unfold what that looks like. But before we do, let's look at a few thoughts as an introduction, if you will, to this song. We see in verse 22 down to verse 24 that the idea of law is mentioned three times in these three verses. Then also down in verse number 27, you have the customs of the law. And then also in verse number 39, which is beyond our um, reading this morning, and the Bible says that when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And we see an emphasis placed on the law being fulfilled, the law being satisfied. Nothing that they did, they didn't uh, bypass the law. This wasn't a, a moment that was so exciting and so significant that they would just simply over, overlook or over. Um, or overstep the laws that were laid forth for this type of a process. These are Old Testament laws. Exodus talks about these laws in chapter number 13, referring to when, the, when a woman would have a, a son and the, first, the firstborn would come out of the womb, that they would take that child and they would give that child. That child would be given to the Lord. That child would be called holy. It would be separated off for the Lord. And then in Leviticus chapter number 12, we are also told that there's a season in which a woman, after having a child, would be considered unclean. It would be approximately 40 days that they would be unclean. And at the end of that 40 days, they would go to the priest and they would present themselves to the priest to be affirmed. There was a ceremony that they went to to be affirmed as being clean. In this process, there's a sacrifice that was made. It was um, a, a lamb and, and, and some turtle doves. And if there wasn't enough money to purchase a lamb, there would be uh, turtle doves and pigeons that would be brought in to make the sacrifice. So, so we see in, in this part of the, of, the, of the journey of the process, we see the Lord saying to us the importance, the significance of the law being fulfilled, the law being satisfied. Jesus Christ was going to be the fulfillment of the law. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 17, Jesus tells us that he did not come to do away with the law or to, to uh, destroy the law, but, but he came to fulfill the law. He came to satisfy the law. The only way that the Lord Jesus is capable of bringing light to us, of bringing salvation to us, is if he himself is satisfied, the necessary requirements to bring that light and to be that light. Jesus Christ and his family in this situation obeyed the laws. They satisfied those laws that were set forth in the Old Testament, those requirements that were laid out to um, as laws, as a process through which Mary was considered pure and also through which Jesus Christ was presented to the Lord as the firstborn of the family. So we see that there is these laws being kept. And in, in the Bible teaches us that the Lord is a justifier and the Lord is just. The Bible teaches that the Lord is faithful to forgive, but the Lord is also just to forgive. 
And again, these are possible because Jesus Christ satisfied all the requirements of the law. Ephesians 2 tells us that in his satisfying the requirements of the law, he was able to abolish the law for us. In other words, he was able to set us free from the law. He was able to, to, to cause the law to no longer be against us, to no longer be opposed to us. In addition to seeing their obedience to the law, we also see in these verses their, the, the um, pointing out the fact that they were poor. Uh, we see this in, in the other songs as well, that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were, were of a poor estate. They weren't wealthy, they weren't rich, they weren't significant. Uh, they were insignificant. They didn't, weren't able to bring the sacrifice that the wealthy would bring in this same process, but they would bring a sacrifice that those who were were poor, those who were insignificant would bring because they couldn't afford that sacrifice of a lamb. And so Jesus and his parents come to make a sacrifice, and it's not a, it's not a sacrifice that would, again, be uh, considered that of those who are wealthy, but it's a sacrifice of those who are poor. And Jesus Christ comes to, pre- or the, Mary and Joseph come to present this sacrifice um, in this uh, cleansing process, and in doing so, they reveal to us their poor estate, their insignificance in a worldly, from a worldly perspective. And again, we see this in the other songs as well. The Lord reveals to us uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus Christ, um, their lack, being born in a stable, being placed in a, in a, in a feeding trough, and those types of things are meant for us to see some of these things. We come to verse 25, and we're introduced to a man that we don't really know a lot about. His name is Simeon. The scriptures are not, there's no details about Simeon. There are, there are approximately six Simeons in the Bible, and this is a unique one. You can't connect this Simeon to any of the other Simeons that might have a little bit more detail to them. This Simeon, all we know about this Simeon is what we read about here in this passage of scripture. Okay, so what do we know about him according to what we've already read? Um, the Bible says that he was likely an older man. The scriptures imply that he was waiting to die. He tells the Lord, he says, now I have seen the Savior, now I have seen salvation, I have seen the Deliverer, and now I'm ready to die. So likely, Simeon was an older man who had, had lived his life to, uh, to its natural end, to its to, his, uh, to a, a ripe old age, perhaps, and he's ready to die. And the Lord tells him, you're not going to die until you see the, the, the Lord's Messiah, or the, the Lord's Christ. You're going to live until you see the Lord's Christ. And then we, we read the story that he sees the Lord's Christ. And then, and then he says, I'm ready to die. I have been, this has been satisfying to me. So we assume, we conclude that this man was was possibly an older man or likely an older man. We also understand that he was a godly man, a man who was walking with the Lord. The scriptures describe that for us and talking about him being righteous and devout and waiting for the consolation or the consoler, if you will, of Israel. He was a godly man. He was he was likely or possibly a priest as well. He, he obviously finds his way into the ceremony that Mary and Joseph are performing at this time, which would imply that he had some uh, involvement, at least, in, in this process, and he was allowed to partake when he uh, lifts up Jesus and he raises them up and he blesses him. So it's, it's likely or, or possible that Simeon was a priest, a possibly an, an older priest or one who was not actively participating. The angel, uh, not the angel, the Holy Spirit comes to him and says the Messiah is coming and uh, here's when it's going to take place. He gives him a, um, a date or a time. Uh, Simeon makes sure that he's there when this all takes place and he's able to see the, um, he's able to see the Lord. He's able to see Christ. He's able to to see the deliverer. He's able to see the salvation of the Lord. In in closing, before we unfold the the song here and and what it it means to us to look and see the Lord, 
You just see at the end in verse 33 down to 35, um, this Simeon blesses the family. Um, The family is astonished at what he says about them. It is interesting that the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ's purpose, the Lord Jesus Christ would cause many to fall and many to rise. Um, The Lord Jesus Christ in, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 2, talks about that the gospel is, is life to some and it is death to others. It is the fragrance of life to life and the fragrance of death to death. The Bible says that as a result of Christ, many will fall and many will rise. It says at the end of this that uh, Christ will reveal the hearts of men. Christ will expose the hearts of men. He will open up our hearts so that we can see who we are. We, we read about that in John chapter number 3 where the Bible says that light came into this world but men love darkness rather than light, and therefore they did not come into the light. And the only ones that came into the light so that their deeds could be exposed, and get this, the only, one that, the only ones that came into the light so that their deeds could be exposed were those who knew that their deeds were, were, were wrought, is what the King James Version says, but the idea of it is, is that they were accomplished in God. In other words, that that we naturally will not enter into the light of Christ because it exposes us as being sinful. Because of Christ, many will fall. Because of Christ being the light of the world, because of Christ exposing our sinfulness, because of Christ exposing who we are, we will run from that light. We will try to escape that light. The only ones who dwell in that light, who, who stay in that light, as James 1 tells us, the only ones that are staying in that light are those who realize that their, that their works have been accomplished by God. In other words, the only way that we're able to stand in the presence of God is to recognize that he has done something supernatural to us, that his spirit lives within us, and that because of that, we're able to stand in the presence of God and be accepted. Otherwise, we, we, will, we will run from the light of the glory of the Lord. And I will submit to you this morning that if you're one that sits in our congregation and says to yourself, you know, I don't need Christ. I don't need this special event to take place. I don't need the Holy Spirit within me. I can stand in the presence of God on my own. What is lacking is an understanding of what the presence of God means. What is lacking is understanding the glory of God and how that no man can stand in the presence of God outside of or without being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and be accepted and not be condemned and ultimately and utterly destroyed. So, so, so Simeon here in this text talks about seeing the salvation of the Lord. And I just want to unfold that for us with four thoughts this morning about what it looks like to see the Lord. What does it mean to see the Savior? And because this is what makes Simeon super excited So what does it mean, number one, what does it mean to see the Savior? What does it mean to see the Savior? The term that's used here means to experience, to behold, to take hold of. The secondary meanings of it are to inspect, examine, or observe, to know, understand, and cherish. Okay, so this is a... This idea of seeing is is far deeper than just seeing. Many people saw the Lord. Many people saw the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in his birth, and many people saw the Lord Jesus Christ throughout his life and didn't experience the same thing that Simeon experiences here. There's something unique about what Simeon experiences that we have to grasp. This is, not a, this is not a moment where something is taking place visually as much as it is a moment where something is taking place in the heart. This is a moment of faith. This is where all of Simeon's faith and all of Simeon's expectations and all of, of Simeon's hope is, is, being, is being revealed, it's being manifested in a visible way. Simeon is seeing something that he was hoping for, that he was believing in, that he was trusting in, that, that he had faith in. He, was, he, was, he is now seeing the fulfillment of all of those things that filled his heart. This is more than just a visual thing that's taking place in Simeon's life. It is a, a faith thing. It is something that is taking place in our hearts. It is a proving It is a knowing. It is a trusting. In a nutshell, this is salvation. 
This is Christ Jesus coming to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. This is Christ Jesus coming to awaken the heart of mankind. This is Christ Jesus coming to show us our sinfulness and to show us our salvation is to be found in him. This is very similar to Numbers chapter number 21 when Moses tells the people to look at the bronze serpent on the pole and if they look at the bronze serpent on the pole, they will live. There's so much more to just looking at the bronze serpent on the pole. It wasn't just looking in a visible way. It was trusting. It was that the reason that they looked is that they trusted. They believed what Moses was saying. There's, it's, it's rooted in something deeper than just something that takes place with the eyes. It's something that's taking place in the heart. It's not important that we see the Lord with our eyes. It's that we see the Lord with our heart. It's that he impacts us. When we see Christ, it changes us. It transforms us. John 17 and verse number three, the Bible says, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they might know in the same idea as seeing, to to not just see, but to see with our hearts. To know him, to have an intimate relationship with him. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see, it's experience. It's to ultimately experience the Lord. It wasn't just the seeing of a child. It was the experience of the power of that child. It was the experience of the salvific work of that child. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. John 11 and verse 40 with the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is a salvation moment. This is a seeing the deliverer with the heart. This is a trusting that is fulfilled. It is a faith that is satisfied. It is when what we, are, what we are believing in that is invisible comes to being that which is visible. Simon saw the Lord. Simeon, or Simeon saw the Lord. Simeon believed the Lord. Simeon trusted the Lord. Simeon had hope in the Lord. And it was transformative in his life. This is not something that's only necessary for unbelievers. It is so necessary for an unbeliever to see the Lord he has to see the Lord. He, he can't just have a, 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 a fleshly experience. He has to see the Lord. That's why the scriptures talks about that their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear, but your eyes can see and your ears can hear. A, a lost person has to experience the Lord. He has to experience the salvation power of Christ. But also believers need to experience the salvation power of Christ. We need to experience the salvation power of Christ on a daily basis. We need to to see Christ in our lives every single day. It's not just an experience that we have when we get saved. It It is something that we have each day as we walk close to Christ. We experience that that saving power. We experience that saving work as we deal with difficulty and challenges. We experience that work. What does it mean to see the Savior? What does it mean to truly see the Savior? It means something that takes place in your heart. It means experiencing his power. It means experiencing his his salvation. Not just eternally, but daily as well. The second thing that we see here in in our narrative is who truly sees the Savior? Who who truly gets to see the Savior? We see a few things about about Simeon that I think describe to us what or who gets to see the Lord. The Bible says in John chapter number 3 and verse number 3, Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So who gets to see Christ? Who gets to experience Christ? Who gets to know his salvation and his deliverance? The Bible says it's to those whom he reveals it to. You'll notice here in our text, it says in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he, would be see, that, he would, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. You'll notice the Spirit is pretty prominent in these few verses. What he's saying is, is it's the Spirit of God that causes us to see and to experience the work of Christ. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, without the new birth mentioned in John chapter number 3, it is impossible for us to see and experience the Lord Jesus Christ in a salvific way, in a real way. We, we must have the Spirit of God guiding us, directing us, opening up our eyes, opening up our ears so that we can see and experience the things that the Lord has for us. Many have made the seeing of the Lord into something that is fleshly, something that is carnal, something that we can do in our own abilities, with our own strength. And so many go through life with a false idea of seeing the Lord or even are false converts because they have never truly experienced the salvation of the Lord because they have walked only in their abilities and have never walked in the power of the Spirit of the Lord. The Bible says that only those who have been awakened by the Holy Spirit of God can see the Lord. It's interesting that in this context of Scripture, he not only talks about the Spirit, but he shows us the work of the Spirit. Now, this man was a righteous man, the Bible says. There is no one who is righteous without the working of the Spirit. There is no one who is righteous unless the Spirit causes them to be righteous. So by saying that this is a righteous man, you are implying that the Spirit of God is already at work in this individual's life. He is not only a righteous man, but the Bible says he's a devout man. Righteousness refers to his standing, his innocence, his holiness. Devout refers to his caution in life, his carefulness as he lived in constant desire to do the right things, to satisfy the laws of God, to do those things which are right. He, he lived carefully and cautiously. He wasn't, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't built into this idea of I can do whatever I want and everything is going, going to be okay. That is not symbolic of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. What we see is a man who is cautious about how he lives because he knows the truth, and he knows that the Spirit of God lives within him. He was a righteous man, which is a sign of the Spirit of God. He is a devout man, which is a sign of the Spirit of God being with, within him. And then he is a watching man. The Bible says in the same verse that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The word waiting here means to watch, to look. He is expecting, he is anticipating the coming of the Lord. This is also a sign that the Spirit of God is at work within an individual, that they are anticipating the coming of the Lord. We must remember the desire to do right, a careful and cautious lifestyle, and the watchfulness for his return are all signs that the Spirit of God is at work within an individual's life. Have you ever known somebody that you could tell that the Spirit of God was at work? Maybe they hadn't come yet to that point in that moment where they had embraced Christ, but yet you could just see something taking place in their life. You could see a change in their desires. You could, maybe you could see a, a recognition of their sinfulness, and they were very humble in, in how they approached themselves and how they saw themselves. These are not works of man. These are works of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God embraces somebody for himself, it's just a matter of time before Christ Jesus brings final salvation to them. 
For many, the process is simultaneous. The Spirit of God does a work, and Christ does a work, and there's awakening of the heart, and then there is, there is immediate salvation. For other people, there is a season. I personally am an example of there being a season. I can tell you when there was a time where I, can, where I sensed the Holy Spirit working in my life, and I can tell you the moment that I got saved. And they weren't the same moments. They were different moments. The Lord grabbed a hold of me. The Holy Spirit of God awakened me, and I began to see the truth. I began to understand the truth. But Christ had not yet redeemed me. He had not yet justified me. Until I placed my faith and my, and my trust in him, I was still unsaved and still lost, although claimed by the, by the Holy Spirit of God for him. The Bible tells us in Philippians 1 and verse 6 that we are confident of this very thing, that he who hath began a good work in us will bring it to completion. When the Lord claims a person for himself, he doesn't quit on them. This is why the Bible in 1 Corinthians calls the process of salvation a process. He says they are being saved. This is why glorification is a part of salvation. This is why sanctification is a part of salvation. This is why justification is a part of salvation. It's not one piece that gets us there. It's all of the puzzle brought together to glorify the Father. And remember this, our salvation is, yes, beneficial to us, but its main purpose is the glory of God. Who truly sees the Lord the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sins, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. He's going to save those who are looking. He's going to save those who are trusting. He's going to save those who are dependent on him. And then you're familiar with 2 Timothy 4, 8. Paul says at the end of his life, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all of those who love his appearing, or who, is, who are looking for him, who are anticipating his return. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life, enabling an individual to see Christ clearly, to see Christ rightly. It is done in accordance with the Spirit's will. It is not done in accordance with our will. Our seeing Christ is not in accordance with our will. It's in accordance with his will. And when he opens up our eyes to see Christ, then our will adjusts so that we can see Christ rightly. The Bible says in John 3 and verse 8, speaking about the Spirit and the new birth, he says, the wind, the spirit blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the spirit. The spirit makes it possible for us to see. The new birth makes it possible for us to understand, to see Christ for who he really is, to see ourselves for who we really are and to experience the salvation of the Lord. Matthew 13, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. The idea of it is, is there's been some gift given to you that's caused you to see and hear. But truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but do not see it, and to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. In Matthew 16, when, when Simon when the Lord asked Simon, who do you think that I am? Remember that? The Lord says, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter says to him, Lord, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What an extraordinary statement. And here's the Lord's response to him. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Seeing Christ is something that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It is his spirit that makes it possible for an individual to see and understand and embrace Christ. These are those, these, this is how we see Christ. Number three, what does, what does truly seeing the Savior accomplish? There are two things that Simeon talks about here that take place in his heart as a result of seeing Christ. And these things are, are, these things are universal. It's not that you can see Christ in a salvific way and, and not have these things happen. And these things are mentioned as corresponding with seeing Christ. In other words, if you see Christ in a salvation way, these are the things that are going to result from it. They're going to naturally result from it. And it's just simply twofold. He says in verse number 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. And the first thing that is a result of seeing Christ in a salvific way is peace. Is we see him and we experience this restfulness, this quietness, this unity, this tranquility. We experience this in seeing Christ salvifically. The secondary meanings of this word is the absence of rage, wrath, war, or conflict. Christ Jesus produces within the heart of an individual a peaceful disposition, a restful disposition, a contented disposition, a satisfied disposition. When we see Christ salvifically, we have everything that we could ever need or ever want. There's nothing more to be added. You can't get a better gift than Jesus. When we see Christ, he gives us this internal and external and all over us peace. I find it very difficult. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I find it very challenging to look at the world of professing Christians and how little peace there is. When the Lord says directly connected to seeing Christ salvifically is, here's peace. You're going to have a peaceful life. You're going to have a peaceful family. You're going to have a peaceful relationship. You're going to just be in peace, in restfulness. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. I mean, he's getting ready to die, and he says, here's the thing I'm going to leave with you. I'm going to leave peace with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to go into it again, but, but the three different pieces that we have. We have peace with God. We have peace with self or internal peace, and we have peace with others. All all resulting from seeing Christ, all resulting from knowing Christ, all resulting from experiencing Christ. This is why he says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you, right? Is that not a relationship that he has created through his own sacrifice to purchase us for himself. And he says, hey, you do that to other people. There is a, there is a peace that comes from knowing Christ. And then not only a peace that comes from knowing Christ, but there is a satisfaction. If you're taking notes, that's the second thought here. Simeon says this, I'm ready to die. I mean, you guys, how many of you guys have bucket list? list? Does anybody have a bucket list? Come on, anybody have a bucket list out there, right? So here's, here's Simeon, and Simeon says, I've seen the Savior, my bucket list is satisfied. And there's nothing, that bucket list gets totally pushed aside. That bucket list is totally insignificant once you have experienced the Savior. There is a satisfaction, there is a completeness that takes place. There is a contentment and a fulfillment that happens in the heart of an individual that experiences Jesus. We live in, we live in, listen, we live in a world today where people are running themselves ragged trying to fulfill all of the things on their bucket list. 
Christians. Their life is a disaster because they're running themselves so ragged trying to fulfill all of the things that I want to do before I die. Here's Simeon's attitude. Let me see Jesus before I die. That should be the heart of every individual that sits before the Lord, that, that, that walks in this earth, let me see Jesus before I die. Not in a visible way, but let me see Jesus experientially. Let me be satisfied once I have seen Jesus. There's a satisfaction. The apostle Paul experienced in Philippians 1 where he says, I would rather depart. Paul's heart was, I would rather depart from this earth because I've already gotten what I've wanted, and that is the Lord. But I will stay because it is benefit, beneficial to you. In Matthew 13, there is a parable of a pearl and also a treasure that's hidden in the field. These are pictures of the kingdom or pictures of Christ. And in both cases, the Bible says that once you have that pearl or once you have that treasure, you have everything. Let me ask you something this morning. First of all, do you have Christ? And secondly, if you have Christ, is he everything? Is there so much more that you want out of life beyond him? Could you say, I've seen Christ, I'm ready to go? I don't know. It's a challenging question, isn't it? It's something that we have to wrestle with. Because the scriptures teach us that he is satisfying. He is fully satisfying. He says in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, okay? This is the promise. Whoever believes in me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me, whoever comes to me will never hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. Lastly, this morning is, who is invited to see the Savior? The Bible says at the end of this uh, passage in verse 32, he will be a light to the gent. He says, first of all, in verse 30, 31, that he should, that you have prepared him in the presence of all peoples. In other words, of all, all I've seen, the world is seeing this take place. You have prepared him in the presence of all peoples, a light for the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, both visible things, right? You see light, you see revelation. These are both revelations. Jesus Christ is a revelation to the Gentiles, and he is glory. We've already talked about seeing the glory of God. He is glory to the Jews or to Israel. In other words, the offer of the gospel, the offer of salvation, the offer to see Christ is to everyone. It is offered to everyone. If you're sitting here this morning in our, in our midst, you are being offered the opportunity to see Christ. You are being offered the opportunity to open your eyes, to confess your own sins, your own fallenness, your, fallenness, your own unworthiness, and to see Christ for who he really is. Everyone is invited. This is why Mark 16 and verse 15 tells us to go and preach the gospel to every creature. I mean, we could take that literally, right? But I can guarantee you it at least means every human being. Teach the gospel, preach the gospel to every creature. Paul was told when he was sent out to minister that he was going, up, going out to open the eyes of the blind. We are to preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to open blind eyes and to open deaf ears. The gospel is powerful. The Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1 and verse 16, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all of those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. The gospel is offered to the whole world. It's offered to everyone. And we're the messengers of that gospel. In closing, as noted earlier, it is important for the unsaved to see, to truly see the glory of Christ and to place their faith in him for forgiveness of their sins and deliverance from those sins. And as I mentioned, you, if you are unsaved this morning, you are invited to see 
Jesus and live. Let me say this to you, because I know this is true about some. If you're unable to see the Lord, okay, we offer the gospel to everybody, but let me say this as well. It takes the Holy Spirit of God that somebody can see the gospel. We can offer it as much as we want, but unless the Holy Spirit of God acts in an individual's life to open up their eyes, open up their ears, they cannot see the gospel. Have you ever witnessed to somebody that was like witnessing to a brick wall? And then witnessed to somebody else, and it was like witnessing to uh, somebody that was just hungry as could be for that, for that food? And you know what was different between those two people? It wasn't their intellect. It was the Spirit of God. If you're unable to see this morning... Christ for who he really is. My encouragement to you is to keep looking. Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep praying. Keep asking, Lord, help me to see what I cannot see. Help me to experience what I cannot experience or understand. Help me, Lord, and then keep confessing. Keep acknowledging your fallenness before him. Jesus promises us in 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you can't see, you say, Pastor John, I don't see Christ that way. I've tried, I just can't see him that way. Keep looking, keep praying, and keep confessing. For the believer, it's important to get a fresh look at our Savior. It is important to remember where we came from. It is important to remember what we were saved from. And it is important to remember what we were saved for. We need a fresh look at Jesus. We need a fresh perspective of Jesus. We need a biblical perspective of Jesus. And as I invited those who are here this morning that may not be saved to look at Jesus, I'm also inviting you today to look at Jesus, to see him in his full glory, to be, to be encouraged, strengthened, secured, and emboldened to live for him. I also encourage you, if you're a believer this morning, to look for a second coming. The Bible teaches us that he's coming back, and he's going to come back, and he's going to rule and reign on the earth. But in the end, my challenge to us all is to look to Jesus Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May 2020 be a year that we look to Jesus more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your son to this earth to die in our place. Thank you for bringing salvation to us. Thank you for bringing light and life that we could not create on our own, but you can do it. You can accomplish it. You can change lives for your glory. I pray that as we enter into 2020, we will have a fresh perspective of Jesus, a passion to follow him and to live 